In the name of Jesus, Amen. The way I figure, Mark must have been a missionary to millennials. In his gospel, everything happens immediately, at once, instantaneous. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, the hired servants, and followed him. Boom! Immediately. Now. There is a big time sense of urgency here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. No time to wait. The kingdom of God is not for procrastinators. Rather, it's now is the moment, now is the time of your salvation. The king's summons is not prayerfully consider following me, but follow me. And you see this sense of urgency in the epistle and all through 1 Corinthians 2. Corinthians were bogged down in all sorts of confusion and petty divisions. They were a house divided and at each other's throats all the time. They had taken Paul's message that all things were lawful with regard to fools, foods, and they turned it into a free-for-all and anything goes. One member sleeping with his stepmother, Nobody says anything about it. Lawsuits all over the place within the congregation. Some showing up drunk to the meal. And they even had a few who commune at their altar, if you can fathom this, who were professed Boilermaker fans who secretly rooted for IU. I rethought putting that in there after your little, sir, after your little... I was like, but it's it's right here. I didn't make it up. I didn't make it up on the fly. As I travel, I always put a little trash talking back and forth. I was down at IU yesterday at their church, so didn't want them to be jealous because I was here. Was it two years ago? Three years ago? Not here, of course. But I was here a couple, three years ago. So they're a little triggered down there. I hadn't been at IU in like twelve years, so got to make it up to them somehow. But I digress. Bottom line is the Corinthians were a mess. They were occupied with the earthly kingdom and all that it entails, and they were losing sight of the heavenly kingdom. Now, this is easy to do, of course. Those of you who are students, engrossed across the street and beyond with all sorts of earthly kingdom stuff. Of course, we all are. We all spend the vast majority of our time from the time that we wake up till the time we go to sleep generally focused on temporal stuff, earthly matters, rather than those things that are the most needful. Myself, first thing I could think about the day when I woke up down in Indianapolis and saw the fog and realized how early it was and then I'm used to the, west, the, the mountain time zone instead of the eastern was where is the closest Starbucks? that from a preacher it's easy to get distracted with such things but as the apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians the present form of this world is passing away the things 
they think are so important and that so consume their attention are ultimately destined to pass away. Things temporal are just that. Even, even, as beautiful as it is, this lovely new facility that you have, just as the old one, they are temporal. They are earthly. As much as a blessing of the old place on Chauncey and this place by God's grace was and will be, these things too, as nice as they are for the here and now, are temporal. They are time-bound. They come with an expiration date. Since the fullness of time has come with Jesus Christ, it means that our present view of this age is altered and needs to remain so. We are living in the last days, the end times, the eschaton. There is an urgency, follow me, that has never been there before. Not just 2,000 years ago when Jesus uttered those words, but for us too. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed, nearer now than when you gathered here last week. In the end times, there is no such thing as tomorrow. There is only now, today, present moment. Or, as Mark seems to make clear throughout his gospel, boom, immediately. Or as Jesus says, follow me. And so this means that we, friends, are not to be those who live in isolation from this world. But as Jesus said, those who are in the world, but yet not of it. Faith holds the things of this life, the things that are temporal, with a loose dead hand of trust. And that includes the net of your livelihood and vocation. The fishermen immediately left their nets, their business, Father Zebedee and all of the hired hands, the boats and all of their temporal responsibilities of a family business to go and follow an itinerant preacher from no-name Nazareth without so much of a clue as to where they were following to or any guarantee of where they would end up and what it would mean. It is very easy for us to look back on this because we know the end game. We know how it turns out. But they had no idea that the words, follow me, would lead them to Jerusalem, to arrest, to trial, to the cross, and an open tomb. They had no clue what it meant to be fishers of men. Fishers of fish? Okay, they got that. But fishers of men, that's a whole different thing. Fish you caught with nets, and a little know-how maybe about where the fish might be, like in the water, or certain areas of the water. But how do you catch men who don't wish to be caught, and whose ways are far more sophisticated and complex than fish? Well, Jesus would teach them. And in teaching them, he would teach us too, as he does today. The net in which men are caught is the net of Jesus' own death and resurrection. This is the net, or more precise, the drag net, that drags everything to the shore of the resurrection on the last day when the catch is finally sorted out. 
Instead of casting nets, they would, of course, cast the word of God. Instead of boats, there would be pulpits and congregations and killer little picture boards. Instead of fish, that's pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. Instead of fish flopping in a boat, there would be men and women and children of all nations rescued from sin, death, and the law by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now it's significant that among the first of the disciples were fishermen. They weren't educated men like the Apostle Paul, or your pastor, or even you engineering grad majors. They weren't leaders, or organizers, or motivators of men. They were rather simple, humble, hard-working men, who went out every day with an uncertain task, throwing a net out, hauling it in, and catching fish. And then when they weren't casting their nets, they were tending to the nets, mending them, sewing them up, servicing their boats, making sure that everything was good to go when they did it all over again. And so this is what they were doing. When Jesus caught up with them and said, Boom! Follow me now. And when you think about it, though, if Jesus intended to start some sort of a movement or organize another religion among religions, he might have been a little bit more picky about who the ground level guys were. I mean, fishermen? I mean, really. But in reality, fishermen knew something about catching fish. And this was the most important trait. Not the way we would catch fish today. They were net fishermen, not bait, hook, and line fishermen. Net fishermen. And there is an amazing difference. Net fishermen then tried to outsmart the fish. They just went where they thought the fish were likely to be. They cast a big, wide net and hauled in what came back. And I encourage you to ponder this a bit and reflect on this as a congregation and the task that you have as a church in this new spot towards those over there in this new location in this campus community. Cast the net. Their their picture, their fishing here was kind of a picture of the kingdom of God. In action, not a selective catch of this fish or that fish, but a universal catch, really, of the whole world in the death and resurrection of Jesus. They weren't going to catch men for the kingdom by outsmarting them or by loading their hooks with the most attractive bait, but rather they were going to proclaim the kingdom of God in the crucified King, Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ by casting their net far and wide and deep and letting the Lord and his angels sort the catch out. Or to switch metaphors for just a moment, kind of like the sower of the seed, flinging his seed far and wide without any regard of where it lands, whether good soil or bad, but trusting that the increase would be God's. As the church in this unique and wonderful place, dear loved ones, remember that you, every last one of you, 
are caught ones. Caught ones. You have been caught in the baptismal nets of Jesus' death and resurrection. Caught like a fish in a net. You didn't ultimately choose to be here. You were hauled into the boat, discipled by the same follow-me words of Jesus ringing in your ears. And that's what got us all up this morning too. That's what brought us here this morning, even maybe against the will of our old Adam, who perhaps might have had other ideas when we looked outside and couldn't really see anything. It doesn't end there, though. We're not a catch of fish flopping aimlessly in the fishing boat. What does Jesus do with the fish? He takes the fish and he makes them fishermen. Just as he took fishermen and turned them into fishers of men. As we heard last week with Philip and Nathaniel, disciples make disciples. The caught go and they catch others. Peter, Andrew, James, and John who were caught by Jesus were being prepared to be sent by Jesus to catch men for the kingdom as they had been caught. Make disciples, how? By baptizing and teaching. Cast the net of the word and catch men for the kingdom of God. Follow me. That's the church's mandate in the world. Not to transform the world. Not to save society. Not even, though it would be nice, to clean up its morals. But to make disciples. So cast the net here in West Lafayette and at Purdue. Paul and the world for whom Jesus died. Be fishers of men who are swimming in a sea of sin and death. Remember that you can't make believe people believe, of course. We simply share the gospel with them. We, the church, that is, share the good news about Jesus. Uncompromisingly so. And the Spirit works faith when and where He will. There's great freedom in that, and that it doesn't depend on you, but everything depends on Him. It was true for your life of faith, it is true for all. Yeah, it's a bummer. Sometimes people reject the gospel message, kind of like the little fishy that got away. It happens. But nonetheless, we follow Him. We follow Christ's instructions and we baptize and teach his word to the nations. We do this in remembrance of him for the forgiveness of our sins while we wait for the end of all things and the renewal of the new heaven and the new earth. We forgive the sins of sinners on earth so that they might be forgiven in heaven. We cast the net of the gospel into the sea of sin and the murky depths of this world's foul waters. And trust that the Lord will do miraculous things. Because he's the one that brings in the catch. The church is his and he builds it. But, as you do this, remember, and don't ever forget this. Before you are fishermen, you must be fish. You must be fish. We are, without him, lost ourselves in the murky depths 
We don't necessarily even know, like little fish, what is up there and beyond. What fish could know that there's a whole world above, a different, a different view of life on land and ski and sky from our perspective? We must be and continually remain as a fish, caught, happily so, in the net of his gospel. We are called to repent and believe again and again, which is why the key to casting any net is dependent upon what you do here, what you do in this place, from this man and from this altar as you go out across the street and beyond. Remain as fish. His kingdom comes to you here through his word, through the faith, by his grace, and in this meal. And so, as a fish, he cleans you. He instructs you. He calls you further to serve, serve him and his kingdom and to follow him. But most of all, remember that you too are a fish. We all are. That need continual catching and cleaning by the great fisherman himself. If you think about it, if a fish is caught in the everyday sense, his life is pretty much done. It's over. A fish out of water soon dies from a lack of oxygen and ends up as the restaurant special on a Friday evening. But in the kingdom of God, things are never as they seem. They are always different. We, his fish, are found safe and secure in his net and in his ark, the Holy Christian Church, in his boat. We are actually rescued from death in that water, and with him we live forever, and instead of us becoming the meal... Jesus, the great fisherman, gives himself to us in this meal for us to eat and drink. Because when we are caught by him, my friends, our life isn't over. It begins anew. So follow him. We die to live, as always, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We stand and join together in singing the offertory.